One, two, one. Hello? Hello? <coughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Somebody was like, you, say, you, write, you write too early. I was like, well, what if I forget? <laughs> he was like, was Tony. Tony. He's like, why do you write it now? It's like, well, there's a good chance I will forget later. Um, so we are in the book of Zechariah, so we continue our series there. It's been a little bit of time since we've been there, 14 days. Uh, but the book didn't change in the 14 days. So we'll continue uh, today with King Over All Earth, chapter 14, 1 through 9. Um, if I was faster, we could have done it all. But I don't. I think I could do all of it in one time. Uh, just to ke- keep us up to speed, we uh, where we left off is, is in, it's in a... Not necessarily... Uh, easy section where it's actually a lot about how God is going to judge he said that he as we came out of the of the end of 13 he said that two two thirds would be destroyed but the good news was that the one third would be brought through and they would call upon the Lord and the Lord would say that they are my people and they would say, the Lord is my God. And so it continues today in that part. Uh, so we're in a heavy section, a section on God judging his people. But there is also great hope of how God will deliver. Uh, Zechariah prophesies in this uh, time frame... It's kind of an outline of the book. And they have been in exile because of the disobedience. Now, Zechariah is encouraging them to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. And it is one of the last books we have of prophecy before we go into a period of silence before we get the New Testament writers. And I think that was just a short introduction. So throughout the whole book, God has been calling his people to return not just to the land, but also to him. To reject idol worship and do justice and follow God. And trust that God will deliver, that he will bring a savior, the Messiah would come. And that is the encouragement for the people. That they are very weak at the moment, but that the Lord will strengthen them and that the Lord will be their God in their midst. But also a strong warning of judgment if they do not follow. And so we enter into that, and let us read. Oh, 
There, there, there. I did bring my glasses. Oh. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be delivered in your divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the households plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the mountain of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, to the valley of the mountains that re- reach Asel. Then you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light cold or frost and there shall be a unique and there shall be a unique day which is not known which is known to the Lord neither day nor night but evening time there shall be light oh sorry On that day, the living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the east sea, eastern sea, and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. Behold, listen, something is going to happen. This has been part of Zacharias' hope for the people that the Messiah would come. The New Testament writers clearly seeing that Jesus was the one that he was talking about, the shepherd, the one riding on the donkey, the one that would redeem his people, the one that would come as the savior. But what would happen to the people if they rejected their savior? What what crime or what offense would that be if the very 
God, their very God, their very Messiah came and they would reject him. That God's people would not receive the Messiah but would reject him. What would happen? The heroes of Shechariah or us as readers must sometimes be slightly confused. There seems to be more than one story or there seems to be a difference in who this Messiah is. That he will be humble, that he will be struck, that God would strike him, that he would... um, that he will be humiliated. But then also that he will be a deliverer. The one to set free from all sins. That God would move and that God would free his people. But then also here in the last two chapters that God would kill his people. That God would bring the nations against his people to destroy two-thirds. That God would let foreigners or different other nations again destroy parts of the city that they were now trying to rebuild. This must be confusing for the hero. But didn't you just say we were building the temple and God would be a, a wall of fire around us, but then why would God then do this? Have the nations run over us again? Take the spoil? Plunder the houses and rape the women? Why would that be happening? That's a good question. I wonder how much Zechariah knew and how much the people of the time knew. What would they hear when they hear these things? other than a strong, strong call to obedience and to put their hope and faith and trust in God and in the Messiah that he was going to send and not in their own works and not in their idol, previous idol-worshipping hearts. Or maybe if they just did enough deeds, they could be self-righteous. Maybe if they just gave up, and gave themselves over again to sin. No, God had provided a way for them. As he's been talking about the whole time, that God himself will come. God himself will be judged. God himself would be pierced, smitten, struck. We see a more full picture here of who God is. Sometimes people, I think, misunderstand who God is and just characterize him as one or the other. Oh, God is just patient and kind. He's never going to judge. You know, God's not like that. But then that, that will make God evil, and we've been through that. Accepting sin, accepting people destroying one another and saying, oh, I'm not going to punish you. But that's evil. 
God will punish because he is a good God. Then you can go to the other side, well, God is only evil and he only punishes. Well, that, that's not true either. Because if we read the Old Testament God and the New Testament, God is so patient and so kind. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We see it over and over and over again. All of you would have killed his people on day two as they walked out of Egypt. Like none of us would have endured them. Like if you were Moses, you would be like, you guys are morons. You've just seen, seen 10 crazy things and now you want to go back. Like, and you see that over and over, his patience. But it does not last forever. He does judge his people. And there was just one one person was saying, you remember this story where when they come to Jericho and there's a warrior there, the warrior of the Lord. So Joshua's like, hey, is this guy on our team? They're like, is he for us? And he doesn't answer because God is for God. And so God's people sometimes are not on God's side. Therefore, God is not on their side. So, God is always for himself, always a warrior for what God wants done. But when his people rebel against him, then God is against his people. And it is clear to read. I will spit you out of my mouth. I am going to destroy you. Because you continue continue to battle against me there's this one passage in, in um, by the grace of God when, when Jesus comes to Paul it's like why do you continue to fight against me why do you continue to kick against me and we see that God is always true to himself but sometimes God's people are not true to God and we see that as he war, as he as he as he as he is a warrior, he is a warrior for his own name, glory. And we see it all saying, "I'll do this because of my name. I'll do this. I will forget your sins because of my name." God is always for God. But sometimes, when God's people presumptuously assume that God is fighting for them, God is actually fighting against them. Because they have departed from God. We have this one instance in the when Gamaliel says, "Guys, maybe you should maybe you should be careful what you do with the disciples, because you might be fighting against God if you persecute these people." So the people that are God's people then and also today. So I think sometimes people in churches can be pre- presumptuous presuppose that God is always fighting for them and God is like no I actually am fighting for myself and at this point in time you are not even close to be following me so I'm not fighting for you come back to me and we'll walk together and I'll fight for you I'm not, I'm not an assassin 
or a mercenary for your sake so that you can have your dreams come true. No. I am God. And you're very welcome to come and follow me and walk with me and then I'll be fighting for you. But I'm not like somebody you put in a box and go around and say, I'll fight your battles. If you are sinning, I'm not going to fight you about If you are greedy, if you want to worship idols, I'm not going to fight that battle for you. You'll be on your own. Why? Because God is good. He doesn't want to fight that battle for you. He would instead want to draw you back. Now, why is all that? Why, why, do I, why, why that? Well, this is because this is what's going to happen. God's people will reject who God is. And God will judge his people. And then even as he does that, he brings escape. They won't all be killed. And in verse 3, we see the return. We see the turn of events as the God promises to come out and fight against all the nations. I wrote here, oh, it's going to be like in the good old days, but even more physical than that. Remember when Abraham's like, don't fight until you hear stomping in the trees. I will fight. I will fight your battles like I always did. God promises to come to them. But how can that be? How can we, like even Zacharias people and also us would be like, but how can that even work? Like we read about it in the Old Testament, we read about how God fight, but how can this be done? Well, then the promise of four is that on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. That God will come. The Lord will come and his feet will be on the Mount of Olives. It's very interesting because that is where, in the one of the gospel accounts, is where Jesus leaves and says, I will, and the angels, when the, when the disciples are very confused and they're standing looking up in there, two men in bright clothes show up and say, like, what are you doing? Uh, well, we're looking into the air because Jesus just went up. He said, but guys, Jesus already told you what to do. Now, this is your mission. Don't stand there and look into the heavens because he's going to come back the way that he just departed. Jesus also said that it would be very visible that the whole world will see when he comes back. It would be like flashing of light from the east to the west that it would not be a secret when he comes back. He will come and he will fight. God himself. Okay, so this is uh, the, Messiah, the, the Lord himself, God, will come and fight for his people. This is what the people of Zechariah's time would understand, that God will fight on their behalf. For us, we can see back as the, as the New Testament writers, well, this is Jesus. This is God in the flesh coming back, and not as a baby in a manger this time. But this time, starting to fulfill all the prophecies that they wanted him to come and do. 
that he would be the mighty warrior to fight all their battles, but he's actually going to fight them first because they had rejected him. And then he will fight for the remnant of the people. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two, create a route of escape for them to this unknown place uh, called Asel. And then he talks the, the talked about like, this will happen like when there was a big earthquake in the King Uzziah's uh, time. And God will come. As he fought for him, he will come. And then we have these things that Jesus also talks about, Matthew 24. There'll be no light, coal or frost. It'll be a unique day, which is only known to God, so nobody else knows. Jesus says the same who I have, I think I have just liked as well. He says, um, nobody knows. Not even angels in heaven, nor the Son, but Father only. And it will be, the days would just go on like they did in Noah, and all of a sudden, boom. The judgment comes, and it strikes. Uh, that's also the concern that the disciples says, are you now restoring the kingdom of, uh, to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not none of your business. You need to go do what I've asked you to do. Uh, because it is only the Father who has fixed this time. So we can bring all our guesses and all sorts of things, be very preoccupied with when all this is going to happen. But I believe as, as believers, we are supposed to fulfill what Jesus has asked the disciples to do. You need to go live this out so that when I do come and fight against my own people and fight against other people, everybody has had a chance to know who I am as the Messiah. A unique day, and there will be living waters flowing out of Jerusalem from the east, no, one half to the eastern sea and one to the western, to the Mediterranean and to the uh, Dead Sea. And it will, ha- it will be continuously. And on that day, night, and then the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name is one. When God comes in Jesus the second time to punish the people who had rejected him, to fight against and secure his remnant people, to have life flowing out again from Jerusalem, and that the great hope of the people would be the Lord will be king over all the earth. The Lord will show that he is one and his name is one. I wrote about 
like some people were asked, like, what is God's name? So did Abraham. And he said, God said, I am. And Moses might have been slightly confused as, as, as we are. Well, what does that mean? Well, then they also, he, they learned to say the Lord, the our Lord, our God, he is one uh, from Deuteronomy 6, where they learn about who God is, that this is the essence of who God is. I am. God will show that God is very existence, that God is king of all, that God fulfills his name, that I am what exists. I am the Lord of all. I am the Lord of the earth. I fulfill my own description of myself to Moses. I am very existence. And so you can say, as we read these passages about God, as we, as we read these passages about God, about God's mercy, about God's justice, about what we just celebrated, that God came so humbly the first time in Jesus, born as a baby, humbly living a perfect life, fulfilling the prophecy here from Zechariah of riding on the donkey, of being uh, pierced and rejected. But there's still more to come. The other parts of the Messiah is still to come when God comes as a warrior in justice and brings justice on his enemies. Why is it a good news? Like, because people are reading as like, this is harsh. This is like, ah. Well, the good thing is it's not me. Because I, none, no human would be able to do this justly. We wouldn't know how to punish people correctly. But all this will be done perfectly because God is the perfect judge. There's so much in Zechariah about a call to trust God and not oneself, not tradition, not man-made rules. But just as the other story that we all, all know, or maybe not all know, but the, the good news of the gospel is that there's salvation in Jesus and no other. God's so patient, but it will run out. But the good news is that in Christ, God has already made a way for us. He's already fought the battle against Satan, sin, and death. And he won. And we can be with the king of all the earth. We can be restored to him. We don't have to fear any punishment. We can look forward to this day as God ruling all things. The way things actually should be. That the very things that we are 
not happy about reading would actually be right, be made right, and Jesus would rule. Now, critics of what I have said would say, well, you can't say, <laughs> well, you can't say that, that God is like that. You know, God, he's my father, he's my friend, he's Jesus, my friend, and all those things. And I will say to you, just like your father, your father's not, if your father is a good father, he's not going to fight for you to get something that is bad then your father will oppose you. At least I do that to my children. If they're fighting to get something that will hurt them, destroy them, or others, I'll fight against my children to not give them that. Because then you are a good father. We're not good if we just give people what they want. And God is like, no, I'm actually for myself and I've showed you my love in Jesus, I'm not going to fight for you to get your sin. I'll fight for you so that you can be redeemed to me. And it's always a good reminder that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But we still have to seek God's kingdom first. Jesus is like, seek God's kingdom first. Don't, I think it's just for myself, you know, like, if I don't do that, then I might be fighting against God all day. Because God, like, you know, no, I actually have your plan for you to follow me first. And not your own desires, and not you fighting for your own cause, or Now, there's like, when we talk about these things, there can be two responses, and I think for those people as well, I can just become highly religious and trust in my traditions and trust in me obeying the rules, and I will earn my way to God. No, that's not the true and it wasn't true either at that time because they still rejected the Messiah. And you, we can still be, relig- re- be religious and reject God. We can go to church every week or maybe more times a week and be very religious and not worship God at all. But instead trust that what we do is what makes us right with God. And then there's, on the other hand, the non-religious is embracing sin and be like, well, God loves me so I can do whatever I want. Well, God is a warrior and so no, you can't. Because God's not going to come as we celebrate it in human form, live a perfect life, make a way for 
you to be reconciled to God through the death on the cross. Conquering death and rising so that you can get sin. It's a very, very opposite of what God was doing. No. Instead, those two things makes God an enemy because we're living for something different than God. And we forgot about worshiping God's. Question for those people at that time, God's people at that time, and is the, the one of the New Testament, I think Hebrews, he's like, how can we, how can we reject such a great salvation? What will happen if we do so? Well, this seems to be what will happen, that God will war against the people who reject his Messiah. And instead, they will make God an enemy. But there's hope. There's great hope. There's hope God will rule and be king over all the earth. In Christ Jesus, we as the disciples have been called to make God known in Jesus that people will see who he is and instead of rejecting him, they would accept God. They would accept Jesus, worship him, know that they can be reconciled to God and they can follow God. So our hope is that all these things that we see today, violence, uh, wars, families breaking down, workplaces, lying, stealing, hurting words, rape, violence, murder, abuse of power, all the things we see that are so broken, God will come and right those things. And he's made provision in his son for us to not to have that punishment but be in him. So that's where hope is, is in Jesus. The Lord, the Messiah. So our mission is to make him known and then for ourselves to daily walk in him and not make God our enemy. Because God has come near to us to be our everlasting God, but also our father and friend. But as rebellious children, sometimes we can choose to go one way so it's a call for for the, the people of God chosen by God at this time to listen and to follow and I think for us a reminder that just because we say that we're Christians that doesn't mean that we can't make God our enemy if we do if we go a totally different way So it's day by day looking to Jesus being, I think also what Yutu was trying today, and I have a lot to learn here. I think thankfulness, 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 thankfulness. Joy. Understanding more and more who God is. Worshiping God for who he is. That is what 
can help us to walk with God and that we walk together and not apart from God. I think when we, just, when we are experiencing that God in us is bringing, bringing the fruits of the Spirit out, joy, hope, love, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, meekness, when we see God doing that in us, then we can see that the Lord is working in us and that we are working, walking with him. Then also it's a call for us to be joyfully looking forward for Jesus coming back as we're living our lives. There's too easy for us to complain that the world is broken. Yes, we know that. But are we joyfully looking for what God has for us as we're here and joyfully longing for him to come back as we show everyone who he is? Jesus the one who says to the woman that he's the living mortal, he will come back. So are we joyfully looking forward to that, that he will come and reign as king? Amen. God, thank you for... being unchanging and always doing the right thing. I, I, can, I can just say that, God, you know me and uh, you also know that sometimes I, stupidly, stupidly enough, is not, I'm working against you. Sometimes I don't even know. You know, thank you for this reminder of I'm here because of your grace and your mercy to shine the light on who you are, Jesus. that you are the Lord of all the earth, that you are the one who's so shown us who you are in Christ, that we can come to you and, and be received. But God, you thank you that you are not just a father, but you're a loving father. You're a righteous father. You are one who makes things right. And you will even move against us when we are wrong. I mean, thank you for that. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you we have in, in you, Jesus, ability to come and pray. Lord, I pray that you would enlarge in our understanding of who you are you would help us to bring much thanksgiving and praise to you. Lord, we ask that you would do it by your grace and your mercy and your spirit to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, that's just because that they don't know where that place is. And, yeah. So let's stand up for the benediction. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.